Well, thanks for singing to me. This is, um, let's see, two days ago was Kevin Kroendike's birthday. He's not here slacking off, apparently, because it's his birthday. It's fine. <laughs> He's online. Kevin, hi, we love you. Happy birthday. Um, and, and then Amy. Amy maybe just stepped out with some of the children. Amy Ritzman's was yesterday. Sarah Lumbergs was yesterday. So Laura's is tomorrow. Laura Workman's is tomorrow. And then, um, like, Janelle's is later this month, and there's maybe somebody else, too. So I don't know what our parents were doing, but they apparently thought it was, like, the right time uh, to have a baby. Lots of babies who are now not babies. Okay. That was just really filler to get me ready up here, and I'm almost ready. Um, so we're, we're chatting about our core values as a community, and... The unique, the unique building blocks, yep. Um, you know, our vision, let me just call our attention to that again, and it, it's, you know, reflected up here in this word of renewal, that we're a community united with Christ in the renewal of all things. That's our hope. And these values are meant to help us live out that vision. Um, they're meant to help that vision become a reality that renewal would be more and more present in your life and mine, in your household, and mine on your street, and in mine at your workplace, etc. The last value we're talking about in this series is what we're calling courageous creativity. Courageous creativity. And to try and put some language around it, we've, we've done this for each of the values. Here's uh, something we've written. The world is dramatically changing. The way forward is unknown. But in trusting God, we choose to take risks and try new things. The framework for the sermon today is really following those words, each line. The world is dramatically changing. The way forward is unknown. But in trusting God, we choose to take risks and try new things. So as I prepared this week, I realized I had first started to write some stuff um, to maybe try and convince you that the world was changing. And then I was like, why would I do that? Um, how about instead we just together come up with some things that we see, that we notice, that have changed already, that are changing. And this could be in culture. This could be in our lives. This could be in society or different elements of society. What is changing? What has changed? And pick the time frame, whatever time frame you want. The last few years, the last decade, the last 20 years, whatever. How about the last 24 hours? Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later with Israel and Palestine. What's changing, do you think, in this fine world that we live in? What has shifted? Yeah, just go ahead, Eamon. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Sergeant, uh, thanks for sharing that. Eamon just shared that he went back to a church that was a part of his young life for many years, and he went back there recently and didn't really recognize many people at all. Even though parts of it were the same, it had changed a lot, and that certainly happens if you move different to a different city or you change maybe your church or you know the neighborhood that you're in and then you go back for some reason sometimes those can change pretty dramatically what else yeah go ahead no sydney thank you anything in specific in the realm of technology that you th you think of that comes to mind hmm. cars phones You've grown up in a world where you've only known the internet. I have not. I remember the time before. That's a pretty big change that's happened in one lifetime. Yep. Big shifts here, and they're only continuing to come. AI is, I mean, this is, if you are reading this at all, if you're kind of following this at all, People who are close to it say this is going to be one of the biggest uh, changers of our world, maybe ever, which is a bit daunting, um, um, potentially. So lots of change in technology. What else? What was that? Water levels. Yeah, thanks, Clarence. I mean, I wish we didn't have to put this on the list. But, you know, the environment is changing. It's not really debatable. I mean, there's still some debate, I suppose, around why. I'm not sure why there's much debate, but there is. Uh, but I, I don't know that anyone's really saying that the environment isn't changing. Pretty significant. What else? Yeah, go ahead, Deb. What's that? The educational system says a teacher. Anything in particular, Nicole, or just, you don't have to, just curious. <laughs> Cursive writing is no more. Yeah, yeah. Just in general. Yeah. Deb, what did you want to say? World order, sure, Deb, pick a small one. Mm -hmm. I, by that you mean that governments, states are shifting in how they're structured and run, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, authoritarianism seems uh, the the data. If you read different research agencies who track stuff like this, say that it is on the rise um, in the world at large. That's that's a major shift. Yeah, Eamon. Movies are changing. In what way? How about you pick one thing then? Hmm.
Interesting. Yeah. So changes around the way movies are written. AI is a, a role here as well. I mean, that was a big part of the strike, right? Um, how how the industry is going to handle that, Clarence? Our jobs. Um, do, what do you mean by that? Say say more. Do you mean that the types of jobs are changing, or that what what do you mean? Mm. So here's here's lovely AI again. Yep, just making its way. So how people do jobs, will people be doing those jobs? Yeah, all that's at play here. How about one more? You say money and inflation? Sure, smarty pants. Yeah, I love it. Okay. I didn't know you were tracking the economic trends of uh, the world, but sure. Excellent. Bitcoin and digital currencies. Yeah. Uh, have we listed all of the things that have changed in the last whatever? No, of course not. We don't have time. We could have kept going. Let me um, let me add a couple of things here because uh, we are right now in this moment in a church and. Uh, we're talking about what it means to be a church, uh, this particular church. And so let me just share a couple of things that have been shifting uh, in that sphere of the world. You won't be able to, well, I can't read the details of this graph. I know them well enough um, to explain them to you in case you can't see them. But the title is The Share of Americans Who Identified with a Mainline Tradition. The percent of Americans who identify, who would call themselves Methodist or Lutherans or Presbyterians or Assemblies of God or Catholic, on and on, right? And the, the graph starts here in 73 and goes to 2018, and you can see clearly the trend. Fewer and fewer people, I mean, it started at its peak there in the uh, late 70s, right around 31%. Today, it's at 11. That's a 20% drop in my lifetime. What that means is like practically, when my parents were growing up uh, and you were Lutheran, you might not have married a Methodist. Like people knew what denomination and affiliation they had. And if you betrayed that, uh, connection, there were often consequences, and they were usually familial. You know, you you were cut out of the family, or it was rough. Not always, not in every family, but you certainly knew who you were, who you belonged to. Now it's 11% identify, would say, I am a Catholic, I am a Lutheran. It just doesn't matter as much anymore. We could talk about this on and on. Just it's, it's interesting to note. And then here's one more. The title of this one, The Share of Americans Who Had No Religious Affiliation. Starting again in 73 and going to 2018. In 73, it's 5%. 5% of the American population said they have no religious affiliation. 95% therefore said that they did. 2018, and this number has only increased in the last five years, it has not gone down, it's uh, 23%. Nearly one out of four 
Americans, this is 2018, the, the numbers I believe again are higher today, would say they have no religious affiliation. That's in one lifetime. This is dramatic. Sociologists look at this stuff and they're, they're freaking out. Not freaking out, but they're like, oh my gosh. This sort of shift this fast is not normal. Trends do take place and shift. They usually don't shift so dramatically. This is the world we're living in, where more and more people do not connect to a particular type of Christianity, and more and more people do not connect uh, to Christianity at all. And there's lots of reasons for this. I don't need to tell you about them in any sort of detail. You know, there's a general distrust of institutions in the world. That's just happening culturally as we move past modernity into a postmodern world. And then we have things like the Catholic sex abuse scandal or the Protestant sex abuse scandals. You know, we have major figures, televangelists, people who had prominent places in culture doing things that are very unlike uh, Christians should be doing. We see Christians in the last 50, 60 years really trying to align themselves with power in this country, I would suggest to you. Not all Christians, but there's been a concerted effort to align Christianity with the levers of power politically in this country. And on and on we go. The world is changing. The world is changing dramatically. It's hard to notice it when you're living in it. Right? This is why uh, we say 2020 is kind of hindsight. Get some distance from an event of any type and there's more clarity. But when you're in it, it's hard to see how much stuff is changing. Even though we have a sense that things are shifting, that we're living in a time of change, it's hard to know how much. And the way forward is unknown. When this is just often the case when a society or you as an individual are in the middle of some significant shift in your life, like you change jobs or you move to a new city or you have a child. When we're in those moments of significant change, no one knows how it's going to turn out. The way forward is, is rarely clear. And even if it is clear to us, it sometimes doesn't work out that way. We think we may know how it's going to work out, and then it doesn't. And so there's a lot of angst when you're in these particular moments. Uh, and fatigue. Change takes something from us. It's, it requires energy to live through a shifting job again, something personal or a societal shift. The one thing I hear from people regularly, and not that we weren't tired years ago too, but there's a level of fatigue in the world. Teresa and I were talking about this recently. It seems that it's maybe more so, it's hard to put your finger on it, but and it's just our kind of 
best read of, of the situation. Talk to people. This same set of uh, realities was true long ago. Acts 15 is a story I've preached on numerous times. I'm sure I will preach on it numerous times again because I think it's one of the clearest pictures into what life was like for those early Christians. And this is uh, the beginning of chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, these new Christians, hey, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Oof. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas, who were there in Antioch, into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other new Christians, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And in Acts 15, 2,000 years ago, the world was changing. And the way forward was unknown. Think about this for a moment. In this world 2,000 years ago, if you lived in this in Antioch and you were Jewish, if you lived in what would be modern-day Israel and you were Jewish, Jewish customs, Jewish religious law was just the standard way of being in the world. There really wasn't a question about whether or not if you were a male, whether or not you would be circumcised, you just would be. And it wasn't just that. Pick, pick almost anything in the religious code of Judaism, be it dietary codes or be it um, how you would handle property or the religious sacrificial system, on and on and on. There was this way of being in relationship with God. And so some people from Judea come to the city of Antioch because they think they have something really important to teach these new Christians. Hey, 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 this is super important, everybody. This foundation that we have of our faith, you need to know about it and you need to follow it What's the, what's the language there? If you don't, you cannot be saved. Whoa. Maybe when we read Acts 15 again, we're like, what are they talking about? Circumcision and religious rules and blah, blah, blah. And when we think this maybe isn't that big of a deal. To those folks, it was central. It was everything. It was everything. These were not minor disagreements. And so the church in Antioch says, okay, this is a big deal. We're going to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, even though the way forward is unknown. We don't know how this is going to turn out. Paul and Barnabas don't agree, but I guess we're going to have to get together and talk about it. And friends, when there is as much uncertainty as there was for the early Christians— I mean, think about this. What Paul and Barnabas are saying is that the whole foundation <laughs> has been repaved. 
these Jews who came down to Antioch were like, listen, here's the foundation we have. It's the, Judi- it's the Jewish laws and rituals. We're going to build on that. Jesus has come, and we're going to build on the old foundation. And Paul and Barnabas are like, eh, everything's new from the ground up. Can we begin to feel what that must have felt like, the angst? The emotions, maybe the anger, the uncertainty, the anxiety. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem, and I have to imagine that there was a strong tendency for for many people uh, to hold on to the way that things were. Because this is what happens when we find ourselves in in these moments or in these periods of time where there's a lot of change happening. Again, in your personal life at home or societally, it's, I think, true in both spheres. When there's all of this shifting happening, all of this change that's happening, there's a really strong tendency to try and just keep things the way that they are or to go back to the good old days, right? And this is what's happening in our culture currently um, in, in many different kind of spheres, including the church. A couple months ago, I had a phone call from someone who works at a seminary. Their whole job is to connect churches with students so that, church, so that students can have a place to have an internship. And they were calling wondering if we would be open to having an intern. And I said, yeah, we've always been open to that. But I want you to know that on the other side of the, of the pandemic, we as a community have been trying to, and I didn't use this language, but we are trying to be courageously creative. You know, we've gotten to the other side of this thing and we've had some conversations as a community and we felt like, listen, the world has changed a lot. We've changed. And, and we could just try and go back to the way that things were, but that doesn't seem to fit this moment. This moment seems to need something new and maybe not completely new but we're trying to be courageously creative i said that to this person and they were like wow that's really great i don't know if i'm going to have a student who's going to fit in that sort of environment (laughs) um but uh they said i have talked because it's my job to dozens and dozens and dozens of churches. You are the only church that I've heard of who is trying to think about how we might need to change given the context of the world that we live in. Everybody else, he says, is trying to think about how to get back to the way that things were. And part of me was like, (laughs) I know, you know, we're pretty awesome. Part of me also, though, felt a lot of compassion because I know what it's like to be in a situation where there's a lot of change and to feel this 
strong desire to just keep things the way that they are. I, I, I don't look at any other church or anyone else who is, who is just saying, listen, we just need to keep things the same or go back to the way that things were. I don't look at those people with judgment um, I, most of the time. It's compassion because I know that I've done the same thing. I know what it is like to feel that pull. But I also feel pretty convicted in this moment, if I can use that word, um, that the church in North America does not need more of the same. There are lots of churches out there in right here in our city and around the country who are doing really wonderful things in the stream of the way that we've always done things. And they have a lot of open seats and there are probably a lot of people who would find that to be really meaningful. I'm just not sure that's who we're being called to be. Because as we see, that expression of church is not working for everyone. People with questions don't feel safe often to ask them in church. People with pain don't feel safe to even enter the doors. I think more and more people see Christians not doing very Christian things or not advocating for very Christian things like environmental stewardship or racial equity or economic equality. They don't see Christians advocating for those things, and that's confusing to them, rightly so. But being a kind of church that is courageously creative is, I think, something that cannot happen on our own power. The world is dramatically changing. The way forward is not particularly clear. But what we're trying to say as a community is that in trusting God, we choose to take risks and try new things. And this is already who we are. In many ways, I think we're just trying to say that we want to live into it even more fully. This retreat thing, by the way, is, is a courageously creative idea. This thing that we're trying to do next Sunday. Guess what? It might not work. You know? Teresa and I thought, oh, maybe this is a good idea. We want to do a retreat. Saturdays are so tough for folks. Let's do it on a Sunday. It might not have been a good idea. It might be that it only works for like two or three households and we're going to have to say, you know what? Um, we're, we're just going to have a normal Sunday here. We thought we'd try something. It didn't work. That's okay. Group Sundays are the same sort of experimental, um, you know, feeling or, or effort. We're, we're trying something new. Not to just do something new, but we're trying to live into this moment into the realities of our world and respond to them. But we can't do that on our own. I think we have to have an active memory. Can I, can I say that expression, that phrase again? An active memory. I think we need to help each other remember 
the ways that God has been faithful in our lives and throughout history. Barnabas and Paul, uh, I think you could say, do this. Remember, they're heading down to Jerusalem to have this pretty challenging conversation, to say the least. And this is what happens when they get to Jerusalem. When they arrived, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders, and they reported everything God had done through them. Which you may read that and think, oh, they must have like reported on the last week or so. I'm not so sure that's the case. Paul and Barnabas have been out traveling the known world for years. And there's no telephone, you know, no email to send updates to. The people in Jerusalem haven't really heard, not at least from them. So they're reporting on years and years and years of what? Of God's faithfulness. They're telling stories of transformation and grace and radical generosity about walls being broken down and social norms overturned. They tell stories that God is uniting slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, Gentile and Jew. This is how the meeting begins. Maybe we would be wise to do the same. To have that be our starting point. To practice an active memory. And this is true in our individual lives. When you're in a, a place where there's a lot of change, a lot of maybe difficulty, the way forward is not clear. One of the things I think we can do is, is practice an active memory and, and say to ourselves and ask each other, help me remember when God has been faithful. Because right now, in the midst of this change and shifting sea, it's maybe hard for me to see or hard for me to trust. So help me remember. And someone may say, yeah, well, do you remember that time when you were in a lot of pain or when the way forward was unclear and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't just magically fixed, but you, something happened to you, or, or whatever the story is. You were changed, or you found grace, or you were helped to grow, etc. Remember the time when you didn't have money? Yeah, I remember. I wasn't sure how the bills were going to get paid. And yet they got paid because such and such happened. Or when there was a fracturing of a, a relationship, and you didn't have any idea how it could possibly be healed and look at where you are today with that person. This active memory, I think, is really important. It helps us trust God, and that's true for our individual lives, and it's true for us collectively, too. Like, we need to tell each other stories and help each other remember ways that God has been faithful. Like, do you remember the time when we had a few thousand dollars in the bank and we weren't sure if we were going to make payroll? Do you remember that time? <laughs> we, were, we were able to make it through. People were radically generous in the midst of that. Do you remember that time <laughs> when we took a risk and gave the building away? Remember that time? <laughs> to a church we 
didn't really know all that well so that they could start a new church in this building that we didn't know at all. Do you remember when we did that? Gosh, that was risky. Or felt that way, maybe. It certainly felt uncertain. But do you remember what happened, right? This is what we need to do for each other. Um, like in a few years, I imagine we might look back and say, do you remember that time when we took ownership of the building? <laughs> remember how that felt? How risky that seemed or uncertain again, at least it, it was. And yet look at what happened in the midst of that, the ways in which God was faithful. We have to help each other remember God's faithfulness so that we can trust because I think it's in the trusting, in the remembering, that we're maybe more able to take risk. This is what happens in Acts 15. They arrive. They tell stories. They practice this active memory. And then they enter into a really contentious debate. And on the other side of that debate, they come up with a pretty creative, courageously creative um, way forward the best way forward mm, you know but it was courageous it was very different probably what a lot of people did not expect and then they kept having to change and they kept having to evolve that wasn't just acts 15 and then poop they had to keep coming back to this question of what does it mean to follow jesus in the midst of a jewish context they were regularly courageously creative I think that's who we want to be. And it can be scary. I understand. Living in a world like this can feel overwhelming. I do sometimes feel overwhelmed. Facing the challenges that we maybe face as a community can sometimes just seem like too much. But if we can help each other remember that God is faithful that God is with us, that God is at work in our lives, through each other, well, then maybe we can have some courage to step forward into this unknown, uncertain future, knowing that it's going to be okay. It might not work out the way that we think, but we have each other. And God is with us. And if we can see it that way, then all of this, instead of maybe overwhelming us or creating so much anxiety that we can't move, maybe all of this can be seen as an opportunity. This shifting world, this changing world can be seen as a moment in which something new can take birth, in which new seeds are going to spring up from the ground, and we get to be there and be a part of it. How amazing is that? Because when you look back through history, that is what happens. When the world is shifting and changing, new things do emerge. And there are some people there who are helping to see that new thing come up from the ground. Maybe that's part of what we get to do. Hmm. So I'm going to close with a few questions here. And on a seat nearby is a leaf. And I want to give us a couple of minutes to just reflect on these questions. If you're at home, I hope you will also reflect on these questions 
and you can write an answer in the comments if you'd like, or you can text Teresa or myself and we can fill out a leaf for you. Chances are you probably have our phone number. What is a courageous step we can take together? Is there a courageous step you can take? And I mean that question both potentially here, a courageous step for you to take here amongst us, but maybe also it's a courageous step you can take just in your life. What would be different if we lived into this value more? What would change around here? Or what would be the fruit of being courageously creative? Those are big questions. I know they are. But you're smart people. You're faithful people. You're hopeful people. And so let's just take a couple minutes here uh, to reflect. And then if you have something that does come to mind, I invite you to bring it up and to put it on this tree. Tape is up here on the tables. And let it be a visible expression of our hope, of what we hope might be if we remember, help each other remember God's faithfulness and in that trust, step out in new ways, be grace-filled in new ways, extend welcome, transformation. What would it look like? So, a couple minutes there to do that, and then um, once that seems like maybe we've had enough time to do that, then we'll move into communion together. But let's just take a couple minutes. Reflect, write, put it up here on the board, and then we'll share in the meal together.